welcome to the Queen's Church Sermon Podcast. Our church is being built on two vision statements. Jesus is our passion and love is our mission. We hope this message leads you to Jesus and that next week you'll join us in person to experience God's love through this local church. You can follow us online at qns.church. Who's ready for the word after that? Praise God. Turn in your Bibles with me to Matthew. That's no surprise to any of you who have been here for a few weeks. But if it's your first time, we're going through the Sermon on the Mount. This is the record of Jesus' teachings from the Apostle Matthew. And what we've been discussing is how Jesus is painting for us the portrait of a true follower of Jesus. Today we're going to see that two of the most unique characteristics of a follower of Jesus are their ability to be salt and light to the community around them. And don't think community in such a broad sense only, but even to the closest neighbors you have who are the ones who live in the house with you. Sometimes uh, that's difficult to remember. Matthew chapter 5 is where we're going to be. And I want you to say the title of the sermon with me, because we're going to break this down. Uh, it might not sound right at first, but you're going you're gonna to be saying it all week after. Okay, you ready? It's get salty, get salty. and stay lit. And stay but you've got to be careful with that type of sermon title, so we're going to figure it out as we go. You guys ready? Get salty and stay lit. Matthew chapter 5, this is following the Beatitudes. Very quickly, it's important for us to remember that the Beatitudes are not a new set of Ten Commandments, right? These are not do this, do this, do this. What is it? They are identity markers. This is God saying, this is who you are now in Christ. So with that in mind, let's read Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to go verses 13 through 16. This is what the Word of God says. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to, the whole, to, to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Amen. Amen. Wow. Isn't it wonderful when Jesus or or any of the writers of um, of the scriptures give us such a perfect picture of what they mean? Don't you love to just be able to see it, right? Instead of, um, before, we've been talking about being poor in spirit and mourning and being meek and these things that they really got to break down. Like, this is what this means. This is how we go here. We don't talk like this normally. But in this case, Jesus just says, you are the salt of the earth. So we're going we're gonna to talk a little, about, a little bit about what it means to be salt to the earth. And then he just says, you are the light. We're going to see that Jesus actually says he is the light before He gives us that power as well. Um, But Jesus is painting who we are, and we can't forget as we transition here from the Beatitudes into the rest of the sermon. This is Jesus like diving deep now. We can't forget that who we are determines how we respond to others, right? So those first uh, five sermons or so that we've had since we started Queen's Church just a few weeks ago, they're all about who we are as believers, but one thing we can't, we can't forget is that when we are told who we are, it, it changes the way that we respond toward others. Uh, this is what I mean. Some Christians have actually taken, taken the Beatitudes to the extreme, and they've said, in order to fulfill all of these things that I have been told I am, I'm going to retreat away from society. And I'm going to live by myself or with a group of like-minded people so that we can all work together toward this mission to be meek, to be poor in spirit, to mourn. You know what sometimes those people go to? Monasteries, right? It's a way to exclude yourself from society and try to become this people that God is describing here in the Beatitudes. But what we see in the rest of the Sermon on the Mount is a strong admonition from Jesus 
that that is not what he is calling us to do, okay? So Jesus is not calling us to become who we are in isolation. He's saying who you are determines how you respond to the people around you. It can be tempting for us sometimes to retreat inward, right? I understand most of us probably are not signing up for monastery visits right now. But even as a church, this can be a temptation that we need to fight against. It's that we could be tempted, especially some of you here who are brand new believers, just been baptized, God is working all these new things in your life, and and all of these things are so good, right? And you get out in the world or with your old friends, and you're like, man, this this just doesn't feel as good as it does when I'm around believers. Uh, It's too stressful. It's too tempting for me. I want to just be around Christians. What Jesus is saying here is, and we're going to see it, if you're wondering why I have breakfast up here, we're going to see it through this illustration, that really what we are It it has to be lived out in the context of community, especially with unbelievers. Think about it like this. All of those things you are experiencing as a believer, whether you're new or you've been a believer for years and years, all of those things you're experiencing are because someone chose not to live out their faith inside the context of their own church. Someone stepped out of church and said, you come with me on this journey. So that's, this is Jesus telling all of us that is how we respond to others. All right? Amen. I like that. You can talk back as much as you guys want. Um, so the follower, the, the, sorry, uh, the Father, God the Father, intends for us, his followers, to dwell in this world, not retreat from it, and to dwell here with a higher purpose. So we're, we're shifting gears, and we have a new title for this little mini-series, right? Portrait is the name of the series. We're looking at the portrait of a disciple And uh, this next several weeks is going to be called Pursuing Relationships with Purpose. Everybody say purpose. We're going to pursue relationships and see that God has given us a reason to do it, a purpose here on earth, all right? Um, How we respond to others reveals what's in our heart. Okay, so if you're taking notes, you can jot down anything that God speaks to you about throughout the sermon, but I have a couple of things that will pop up on the screen that might help you throughout the week as you're trying to get salty. Um, and the first one is, it's time to get salty. Now, go, go where you think you should go with this. Getting salty is not a good thing, right? I mean, so the other day, some of you, uh, this, this, I'm new at this pastoring thing. You guys are going to learn about me. It has to be clarified very specifically, okay? I do not have a problem with animals. Some might say that I do. But I am not a fan of pets, Okay, so the clarification is, I think animals are good for like out there in the wild. That's what God created them for. I don't want pets in my house. Now, if you have pets, I'll come to your house. I'll sit down. Your dog can jump on me. It's not going to bother me. If it licks me, I'll push it off, but other people do that too. Um, It can lick. You you can kiss your dog and let it lick. You do you. Yeah, but okay, so so just to be clear, if someone asks you, I heard Pastor Larry doesn't like animals, you're going to say, not true, right? Okay. But listen, the other day I was walking on the sidewalk, and uh, it, w- it was a-, a narrow sidewalk right over by my house, and there was someone walking a dog coming toward me, okay? And uh, what's the last thing a New Yorker wants to be while walking on the, s- on the sidewalk headed to work? Inconvenienced, right? And I'm walking, and I'm just listening to some music. I'm looking where I'm going, and I get to the point where, like, the whole entire sidewalk is just blocked off by this leash. I mean, you know, it was the ones that you could stop and pull back, right? And I'm walking, and I'm standing there, and I'm thinking, if I'm a, I've never been a dog owner, but if I were, other, I see other dog owners do this. What's, what's the cordial thing to do, right? Just, just pull it in a little bit. Let me get by. But no, the dog's like standing there, doing, not doing its business, just hanging out in the dirt, and the guy's like this, come blocking the whole sidewalk. And I got a little salty with him. I'm not going to lie. I gave him a little bit of a look. I didn't sin, maybe. I don't think I sinned. But I gave him a look. And, and if you would ask that guy, hey, what, what, what was that guy thinking right here? He was getting salty with me. You know, I didn't make a noise. I didn't, I didn't say a word, but I made a little bit of a noise. It was kind of like this, like, <sighs> and I walked into the street and around the, the dog. But I know salty could go a lot farther, a lot more to the extreme. But if you, if you think about it, um, getting salty with someone is when, you're, you're frustrated with them, right? You, it's not necessarily anger, but you're frustrated. They're rubbing you the wrong way. Um, <clears throat> and that's exactly not, yeah, you get a little attitude with them. Um, but being salty 
in Jesus' sense, is different. So I want us to have that in our mind so we can remember. It's time to get salty. But let's learn what salty means um, from Jesus. So I want to invite my friend Stan. Um, he knows I'm, I, won't, I won't just randomly, yeah, give him a round of applause. I won't ever just randomly invite you up on stage. So Stan knew this was coming. Um, my other friend, Ashley, who happens to be Stan's wife, um, has baked us some goodies here, okay? Um, and then I have a shot glass just filled with, guess, yeah, it's just filled with salt. And, and Stan's just going to do something for me. Um, he's going to try, Stan, would you, you want to just, I won't touch it, but you can just try one of these scones right here. And just tell me, you know, you chew it up and then just let us know what it is you're tasting. Uh, maybe if somebody could get him a cup of water, he might need it after this. Um, all right, so after you swallow, I just want to get first thoughts. Um, what's that taste like? I know your wife made it, but this is a safe, safe space. <laughs> Ashley, give him some grace, okay, please. Um, <laughs> it's very dry. <laughs> we can tell. Um, pretty bland. Pretty bland. Yeah, no taste. Is bland food the kind you normally like to eat? No. Can you describe to us the normal, the, the type of food you, you like to eat? Um, something delicious, something that has sweetness, something that has saltiness, something that has brightness. Savory. Savory. Oh, that's good. Uh, saltiness, sweetness, brightness. Okay. So here's what we're going to do next. Um, this, is, this one's going to be tough. I'm going to let him choose how much he wants to do of this. He could take this whole shot. Um, no, I'm totally kidding. <laughs> they thought you might actually do it. Um, he's just going to stick his finger in there. This is just table salt, just iodized salt. What do you think about that? Pure salt. Super salty. <laughs> <laughs> does, it, does it make your bland uh, scone, that's a scone, does it make your bland scone taste better because you tried salt afterward? Uh, no, nah, I don't think so. I think it just kind of um, overpowered whatever bland taste was there. It overpowered it. Okay, so... What if I said to you, like, this is for, for dinner or for lunch? Be tough. Tough dinner. Would you do it? <laughs> no. <laughs> All right, so salt's not good by itself. The bland scone, not that good. Um, and what do we, we have a feta? Yeah. A feta scone. Okay, bust into that one. That one looks, this one looks the best. If you, I don't know if you guys can see it in the back, but it's got golden brown crust. Um, He's going to want to eat the rest of this. You can take it back to your seat when you're done if you want. All right, what do you think about that one? Awesome. Great. Yeah. Salt, um, texture, savory, all good. If I said to you, this is for dinner, you would say? Give me more. <laughs> all right, cool. Thank. Give Stan a round of applause. You can take your water with you. And the scone if you want. Yeah, take, take it with you. <laughs> okay. So um, the point is this. I want, I want this to burn into our minds this week so we can remember this, all right? God designed us to live in relation with him. And he has given us a purpose. And our purpose on this earth is to do what this salt by itself could not do to this scone. So here's what I mean. In the illustration... The, the bland scone, so I just asked Ashley, make me something with no salt whatsoever. So she even told me it's unsalted butter. This is no salt, no flavor. It's just uh, flour and water and maybe an egg. I don't know. Yeah, an egg and flour and water, okay? And, and folded in and cooked. This is bland. This is the world, okay? Now, if you don't believe me that the world is bland because you say there's a lot of exciting things going on in the world, then let me ask you this. When has something exciting in the world ever left, left you with a lasting sense of ease and peace, right? You could say, you know, I really, really love uh, a good burger, and I want to go to my favorite burger spot, and you eat it, and I would say, hey, uh, did that leave you with some lasting goodness? You'd say, yeah, of course. I mean, it lasted me three hours <laughs> until I wanted what? More food, okay? So what if you said, yeah, but you know what? I really love my relationship with my spouse, Maybe you, you are against the odds and you have a spouse that you love. And I said to you, okay, so if you spend 50, 60 years with your spouse and then they die, how does that relationship leave you feeling then? Sad? Yeah, of course. You would mourn. You would grieve. You would have an emptiness that's left, right? 
So even the longest lasting, peaceful, satisfying thing this world could offer in a spouse will eventually fade away. We know that the stat remains true no matter where you are in the world. 100% of the time, people die. One out of one. 10 out of 10. And so even if you say, I, would, I, I, could, I could look to a relationship with a person as this picture of a perfect feta scone that just leaves me. No, you can't, right? So the, so, so the point is, the world is like this scone. It has some substance. Could this scone have kept Stan alive? Of course, if you're lost on a desert island, you have bags and bags of these, you would get sick of them, but they would keep you alive. So there is a sense that keeps substance in your belly, but it leaves you wanting more. Right? So the salt we know is no good by itself. Everyone knew that from the start before he even tried it. The scone, it just needs something more. The life just leaves us wanting. But listen, the feta scone, that's all we got left. <laughs> the feta scone has savory goodness. So in food, it, it's a much better option than the bland saltless scone. And in life, I want us to see today that this represents what a salted Christian is like to the world. This is what a salted Christian is like. A, salted, a, a Christian who is salt is someone who understands that by myself, I'm pretty off-putting to people. You know what that looks like, right? The holier-than-thou mindset. Uh, Pastor Danny wrote the blog this week. If you're not reading it, you should check it out on the website. We post it every week. It's a teaser for the sermon. And he talks about how um, recently he had done an Instagram poll and found that the vast majority of people uh, were off-put by Christians because of what? You guys know it. Hypocrisy, right? People feel like Christians are one way around certain, certain people and another way around the others. And the reason that Christians struggle with this so much is because we have never, a lot of us haven't learned how to control how much salt to pour onto the world. And so we either say, well, I'm around my unbelieving friends, I better pull back all the way, and we look hypocritical because they say, in a situation where they need your voice, it's missing. And they say, well, why would you even go to church then if you have no voice in this situation? Or, let's get this over a little bit, we just douse it, right? And they, and they go, whoa, 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 that's too much. That's too much. I don't understand what all you're saying. No, you can't just tell me when I've lost something important in my life to just have peace. That's not how it works. If you say to them, well, God gives a peace that passes all understanding. I'm sorry, but to your unbelieving friends, that phrase... It, not, it doesn't necessarily do nothing, but it, it comes across like this. Like you got it all figured out and all they need is just for, for you to just give more of you. So what Jesus is saying here is that Christians are supposed to bring salt in an appropriate way to the world and it comes out like this feta scone. And the way that we learn to do this is by being in his word. When we're in God's word, it's not just that we have answers for people who we're not hand in hand with. It's that the word teaches us that, in fact, salt without the world at all, is, it has a use, but it's all off-putting, the use. So we must be in this world, the New Testament epistles tell us, but not of it, right? We're not of the world. We're not a bland scone. We are a salted scone, but we need to be in it in the right way with the right amount. So salt has a, has a couple different um, ways that you need to measure yourself toward, and, and we'll go through these two. You ready? The first is salt preserves things. We don't use this action of salt as much these days because we have refrigerators and freezers. But if you think back to the time when Jesus was talking, that's how they preserved their meat. If they killed an animal, they would actually cover the animal in the meat in salt, and it will preserve it. I looked up the reason this week so I could speak with intelligence about the matter. And it's because the salt absorbs the moisture out of the meat. It prevents the meat from decaying because moisture is where bacteria grows. So salt covers it in a moisture barrier. So moisture can't get in, bacteria can't grow. The meat is preserved. So it, obviously it's providing flavor when you cut that up and put it on the grill. It's going to taste better than just bland meat out of the fridge. But it's about preserving. And Christians, when we decide to to um, salt the world. We're going to see the world as our higher purpose. What it looks like for us sometimes is preventing decay. Christians are called to bring justice to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, 
to grieve with those who grieve, to celebrate with those who celebrate. Have you ever had someone do something really great in your, uh, around you and it's difficult for you to celebrate with them because you think, why, doesn't good thing, why don't good things ever happen to me? You ever thought that before? Celebrating with those who celebrate sounds easy, but oftentimes it's not because Jesus doesn't only want us to celebrate with the people it's easy with us to celebrate for. Like it's easy for me to celebrate when Lindsay does something well, but it's more difficult for me to celebrate when someone else, maybe like my competitor in business or something like that, does well. It's harder for me to uh, celebrate with them. So the point, though, is that Jesus wants us to look at the world and to see it as a place where we are called to bring preservation, to prevent decay. We prevent it by seeing the poor not as an inconvenience, but as an opportunity for us to show love and mercy that we have shown. Because after all, we are poor in spirit. Because we have emptied ourselves of all of our own arrogance and all of our own identity, we can pour ourselves into others, regardless of whether they have enough money to give us something in return or not. Salty Christians prevent decay in the world. And you can even take this to the highest, um, the highest levels of thought, uh, of government, of entertainment, right? When Christians are appropriately using their calling in the political sphere, in the entertainment sphere, um, in the sporting world, um, in the business that you work in, when you're using your salt, you're preventing decay. If you're around that board, table, uh, that board meeting, when people are trying to decide whether or not it's a good idea to take advantage of this client because they know that they're not going to be able to pay the full bill, you, as a Christian, are there because that is bland, that is leaving people wanting. And no one's going to stand up and say anything because they don't have the salt. But you get salty in that moment. And with gentleness, you say, listen, we don't have to take advantage of others to make our business succeed. We can be a business that stands on the principle that we are going to treat others fairly. It works in politics as well, right? Maybe God has called you not to maybe to get involved in politics or maybe to just be one who understands that the political sphere is very complicated. So instead of just going, I'm going all one side or I'm going the other, which is bland and leaves us at a crossroads, you can be one who says, no pun intended, I'm going to reach across the aisle. And what I'm going to do is to try to be a peacemaker like we learned last week. So salty Christians understand that their, their place in this earth is a, it has a higher purpose. You're not just in that meeting where that decision is being made by happenstance. You're there because all, the, all they have to talk about is bland, and you are supposed to sprinkle a little salt. Now in that meeting, if you just stood up and said, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and all who come to the Father, uh, all who come to the Father through him will be saved. That's why we need to save money and not do this right? You just poured, you just doused salt and people went, what? You're irrelevant. You're off-putting. Like Stan said, you know, you're, you're just dry and, and salty, but in the wrong way, okay? So salty Christians, they prevent decay. Um, we bring a, a, a bit of a moral compass, not just to society, but to those who are close around us as well. Um, the Christian life is not simply living for the future, you hear that? I feel like some people are skeptical of Christians because they feel like maybe uh, Christians are only living for the future. That eternal hope that we have in Christ Jesus, right? Eternity with God. There is a future. But the Christian life is not about just living for the future. We must see ourselves as living in the now. There really is a bland scone sitting on the table. We really do have salt right now that we are called to be to that bland scone. Don't, don't just look at the future. Focus now also. Um, besides preserving things, though, it also brings flavor. This is what's illustrated best by this story, right? What Stan said was this salty scone, it tasted better. He said he would eat it for a meal, whereas the bland scone was just uh, for substance if you have to, right? But the Christian subculture destroys the framework of what Jesus is teaching because it separates the salt out from everything else. So here's what I mean by that. When Christians decide that it's okay for us to just do our own thing and let the world go to hell, then what we're doing is creating a subculture, right, in which we have our own music, we have our own movies, we have our own um, T-shirt companies, we have our own automotive 
body shops. There's one where I'm from called Christian Brothers Automotive. I'm not saying that's specifically wrong, so I'll, I'll finish this thought. But the point is, when we separate the salt out from the society and say, I'm not going to go be a monk, like we talked about earlier, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to get all over here where it's very comfortable, and I'm going to build a wall around my comfort, and I'm going to stay here. What happens to the world? Remember, I just said the Christian life is not only about what happens in the future. So the world is over here bland, and we're over here with all the salt. We're off-putting to them, and we don't understand why, and they don't understand why we do what we do. When God wants us to break down that wall, he says to be the salt is to enter into the world, to show them how flavor comes about. Um, a quick illustration, uh, you guys will learn. I have, um, have to do some work on the side in order to make this church planter, this uh, church starting thing work. So one of the things that I do is make videos for people. And I have this one client that I travel um, to different places and we make videos at their locations. And I have two non-believing friends. They've become friends. They were just coworkers at first. Uh, I travel with them every year for about five days. So we have gotten to know each other over meals, right, and over plane rides and car rides and frustrations and happy times. <clears throat> and one of the things that they always say is that they, this is their favorite business trip. They go on several throughout the year, each of them, with all different people. And they say, this is their favorite one. Why do you think that is? Let's get it clear, okay? I know, I know you guys think you're like, you're kind of on the edge of a cliff. What are you about to say? I'm not saying that it's specifically because I'm, like, it's something that I, ha I, I am or I am, um, actually, yeah, it is. We'll, we'll learn that. But it's, it's not something that I can be arrogant in or say that I am giving to them that no one else is. But it's what God has given me. They just want to be around me. Why? Because when we're around each other, they feel like their blandness is exposed. Why do we have such good conversations around the table? Why does the mood feel more peaceful and lighter? Why when something goes wrong out on the floor, when the lights are on and the audio is rolling and everyone around the factory floor is watching us, why is our cool kept? And we handle this situation really well. And the reason is because Jesus is there on the floor with them. Jesus is at the dinner table with them during those moments. It's not me. I'm a vessel, right? But God is using me to salt those encounters. So every single time they say, man, this is like, both of them have said, this is like family. If you've ever been on a business trip, could you imagine being on a business trip where you're like around family? That's not a normal encounter for people. But the reason is because Jesus is with us in those moments. Jesus is allowing me to salt those encounters. So that's what it's like in your everyday life. You, you are going to be around non-believers. And the point is, you don't just douse yourself on them. You just be the vessel that God wants you to be in that moment. You act like salt. You keep the peace. You focus your attention on them, right? Remember what we talked about several weeks ago? Um, <clears throat> Blessed are the poor in spirit. This is the second week of the series. And we said, how do you know you've been around a truly humble person? Someone who truly is poor in spirit. It's because when you finish your interactions with them, you think, wow, they were concerned about me that entire time. They, didn't, they weren't talking about themselves. They were asking questions about me. I had to, at the end of the conversation, say, well, enough about me. Like, how are you doing? You've been around a truly humble person when, when they are so focused on you. That's how you can be salt in the simplest way. Look at the people in front of you. Focus on them. Love them. Be the flavor and the, and the, and the um, preservation that they need. So, um, <clears throat> verse 13, you are the salt of the earth. Okay, salt is not salty for its own good. The, you being salt is not for the people in this room who are believers and followers of Jesus. They're salt as well. We must be salt of the earth. We must take the salt to the earth. Um, so, first thing is, it's time to get salty. Everybody say, get salty. Get salty. The second one is this, stay lit. Stay lit. All right, I stole this one, but I'll give credit. This was, this was the, uh, the blog title from, from Danny's blog. You guys need to go read. So, we're going to get salty and we're going to stay lit. Um, you guys ever heard the story of Moses when he went onto 
um, the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments? What happened was Moses actually came face to face with the glory of God, and God gave him, gave him the Ten Commandments, the same ones that you and I have read before or heard about before. And when Moses came down from the mountain, can anyone remember what was happening to his face when he came to give the Ten Commandments to the people? Say it, Melissa. It, you, she said lit up. It was lit up. That's right. She decided to change it, even though it says stay lit right there. <laughs> it was lit up. His face was glowing, right? Check this out. Moses reflected the light of God, right? And it was so bright, they had to cover his face. And he wasn't the light. He was just a reflection of the light. Listen to this. You are the light. Verse 14, Jesus says, he doesn't say you're like Moses, you're the reflection of the light, does he? No, he, he, he makes it different. He says you are the light. You are the light of the world. People of God, you are not just a reflection of Jesus that you could like just cover up like Moses did. You are the light of the world. In a minute, we'll see where Jesus gets this concept of, be, of other people being the light. But Moses went to be with God, and God was beaming off of him. When you are found in Jesus, Jesus is beaming inside of you. He is shining from within you. There's a great song that says, from the inside out, and it echoes that over and over again. That's this concept, that Moses was reflecting from the outside what God had shown him. But Jesus, in you, is not a reflection. He is an actual light. He's a source who is inside of you by the power of the Holy Spirit shining out to others. And so if Moses' reflection was so bright that others couldn't even look at him in the face, imagine what it is like, what Jesus wants it to be like for us. This light inside of us that is shining so brightly that not only does the world notice, but the world is transformed. He says here that when a, uh, when, a, when a city is set on a hill, it cannot be hidden. He's talking about this light. People don't light a lamp and put it under a basket. That would be foolish, right? It's foolish to take the time and spend the energy of a candle. Think about those days where you couldn't just flip a light on. right? You had to make a candle. He's saying it's foolish to light a candle and then cover it up. You're wasting valuable resource, light. Uh, I try to teach that to my kids. I'm sure you guys do too, right? That even though it's not the same as the resource they had back then, but the lights are on, it's not free. What? You have to pay for the electricity. So it's foolish even for us to flick a light on and leave it on, right? Jesus says it's the same for our spiritual lives. For who we are in Christ, it is a foolish for us to have this light and then make attempts to cover it up. But how do we make attempts to cover it up? It happens in so many ways. You see, any time that you decide that uh, when it is for you to, watch this, act Christian or not, is a basket you're trying to put over your light. Because what have we learned in this series? That this is not about acting Christian. It's about who you are in Christ. You can't act like a Christian and not act like a Christian. You are a follower of Jesus when you place your faith in him. You are the light. So Jesus says, stop being foolish and trying to cover me up. I have people planned for you to salt today. When you try to cover up your light, I know that kind of gets confusing, but just go with it. I'm not going to be the salt to this blandness that is on earth. What if, instead of being different in these interactions with my coworkers that I'm telling you about, what if I just was the same like everyone else because I thought I wanted them to like accept me and me to be one of, the, one of the guys, one of them's a girl, but you know. What if I just, you know, yeah, like uh, we'll go out for dinner and yeah, I mean, I'll tell, I'll tell dirty stories like one of them does sometimes. I'll, I'll cuss it up with them. All right, what if, what if out on the floor something goes wrong? You know, I throw a little tantrum, knock something over, like I've seen some people do out on that floor before. Lose my temper, go nuts. What if I do that? Not on, I mean, if you do that on accident, if I did it on accident, right, or I gave in to temptation, I can confess and repent, and there's forgiveness in that. There's no shame in Christ Jesus. But the point is, sometimes we're not doing it on accident. We're hiding our light in order to try to be accepted by others. And Jesus says, 
That is foolish. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither does someone light a lamp and place it under a basket. And here is why. Because verse 16 says, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. So here's where it is. When you are being the light, not reflecting the light like Moses did, you have been called to a higher purpose. You are the light. When you are the light and you do these good works with poverty of spirit, with meekness in your mind, peacemaking as your goal, and you are living inside of that identity that Jesus has given you. Other people, this is why uh, it's dangerous to be a Christian. Other people will look at you and they will see God. You know why that gets uncomfortable, right? Because I want to be seen. I want to be thanked for things that I do. Don't you? Let's get real. I want to be recognized when I accomplish things. I don't want you to look at me and say, I'm so glad God is moving in your life. I want you to look at me and say, great job, Larry. And then let me choose if I'm going to give the glory to God or not. But that is not in Scripture. What Jesus says is, when people see the light, it's so so starkly different from the darkness that we can only see that light source. And whatever that light source is, that's where I give the glory. I'm giving it to the source. And they're saying, Jesus is saying, even unbelievers, even the world has the ability, when you do good works as a Christian, to interpret where those good works came from. They come to you. You've heard it. I've heard it in the past couple of weeks about people who are sitting right here in this room This community that God is building is so radical that I can't help but be a part of it. You know why that is? It's not because the sum of us is, you know, greater than we are individually or anything like that. It could be chalked up to that. But the reason is because that person sees the light in you. They see you selflessly walking in the rain to get to church on a 55-degree day, and they see that when they walk in, you're there standing at the door like our fabulous greeters, amen, saying, saying, welcome, come on in, grab some coffee, I know you're cold, get a bagel, make yourself at home, how can I help, how can I serve? These are ways, they, they don't see you, and that's just how we want it, because you can't be poor in spirit if all they see is you. Jesus worked it all out. I promise, this portrait he is painting is perfect and beautiful. But maybe you feel like you're viewed as hypocritical by some. Maybe your family calls you a hypocrite because they see you sometimes behind closed doors. And they're not Christians, so they think this whole church thing is a scam just because you act differently um, around them. Maybe you've been called you know, single-minded or, or hateful or something toward people oh, you're a Christian, you believe this, they just pigeonhole you and say, that that must mean you're this person. You're you're hateful toward um, these people or to those people. You're a Christian, oh, your church just does all the tax incentive things. Like they just just want a tax write-off and the pastor's getting rich. You hear these things sometimes, right? Maybe that's because people only know you by your beliefs and they don't know you by your actions. When you are known by your beliefs alone, you're just a shot of salt. When you're known by your actions, though, you're able to be woven into that dough. And people see you with them. Someone might say, oh, that that person's a Christian. They're single-minded. That other one who who has been around you when you're well-dosed, right, and you're being the light, and they say, no, 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 that's... It's a different type of one right there. That, that one's different. I, I, I don't believe what she's talking about, but she's real. She's authentic. You, don't need to, you can't say she's single-minded. You can't say she's this or that. She is real. What do they mean? That's the best two words we have in this culture, right? 
real, and authentic. What do they mean? They mean you're salty. They mean you're the light. And they might not be able to interpret it yet, but you stay there. You keep being salty. You keep being the light for them. That's what they need. They want to be around you, and that is why. So the question is this. When people see you, what do they see? Are people just seeing your beliefs? Or are they seeing your actions? Jesus is the salt. Jesus is the light. This clarification will close us. You cannot leave here today and say, Pastor Larry told me to go try my hardest to be salt and to try my hardest to be light. Because I'll warn you what happens if you do that. Some of you know what it's going to be, right? You will crash and burn. We must recognize our inability to facilitate the glowing and to create the saltiness on our own. It is the key tenant of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The good news of Jesus rests on this, that you and I can't do it. He is the one who has done it on our behalf. It doesn't happen because we try our hardest. Jesus came to bring flavor to all of the world. And Jesus is the light of the world. And when he ascended to heaven, he sent us out. And he said, because of who I am, you go be me to your neighbors. Read with me in John chapter 8. John chapter 8, verse 12. Like we always say, I didn't say it to start the sermon, but um, if you don't own a Bible, we want you to leave today with a Bible. Uh, Summer told me I couldn't make that announcement today because we only have two Bibles left. But maybe there's two people in this room who need a Bible and don't have one. We got one for you at the back. Come for prayer and we'll give you one. Uh, We want you to have a Bible in your home because like like I said at the very beginning of this message, um, this happens when we're in the word. That's when it turns from commandments to the real life. You ready for this? John chapter 8 verse 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. How do you have the light? Jesus says it simply, follow me. When we start to follow ourselves or we start to follow our friends or we start to follow the trends or we start to follow culture or we follow temptation or we follow a relationship, it always leads us away from Jesus. I heard, um, I know some of you are wondering, like, when was this going to come in, right? Like, Kanye's been in the news a lot lately. He's claiming to be a believer now. I don't know why I said he's claiming. That's so cheap. He's a follower of Jesus. I heard him say it. He confessed Jesus with his own mouth. I heard him talking yesterday. It was fascinating. The person was saying, how do you think this is going to affect your concerts? The entertainment value of your concerts. Don't you think it's going to get cheaper? Going to get worse? And he said this. It was Ah, this is why I love it when artists are followers of Jesus because they think with their right brain, and I tend to think with my left brain, analytical, logical. And he said, uh, he, he didn't, wasn't expecting the question, so he thought about it for a second, and he said, listen, <clears throat> before I was a follower of Jesus, I had a lot of things I was trying to put on the throne. So I was trying to make money. I was trying to be uh, the biggest on social media. I was trying to beat Drake. <laughs> he said, I was trying to sell merch. He said, I was trying to make sure that I was a good dad. I was trying to make sure that I was a decent husband. I was trying to fuel my addictions to things that were making those two really impossible. He said, I think he said six or eight different things. He said, because of that, my entertainment, my motivations were skewed. I was trying to please all these different things. And what happened was I starved them all. And you know what's coming next. He said, now that I'm a follower of Jesus, all of these things will be lifted up 
because I'm looking to him for all that I need. And since Jesus is on the throne and he is the king, my life will be abundant, finally. He said, I'm like Nebuchadnezzar, right? You remember Nebuchadnezzar from the Bible. He went to the top and found that it was left him wanting. He said the same things. You see, the reason that Jesus can say, those who follow me walk in the light as I am in the light, is because he knows that when our vision is skewed, when we are looking at all these different things, trying to please all these different people, we leave them all starving. When we focus our eyes on Jesus and follow him, all of a sudden, from within, this light starts shining and all these other things around us are illuminated. And picture this, a dark room, and you are this illuminating bulb and you're just walking. The light doesn't stay where you were, right? It follows you where you go. So then every interaction you have with people is doused in light. They see this city on a hill and they can't ignore it. Church, Jesus is calling us to get salty with the bland neighbors and friends and coworkers and enemies and siblings and spouses who we've come to hate and children who we see as an inconvenience or a mistake. Jesus is calling us to get salty with them. He said, you are the salt of the earth. Don't blame them for being bland. Get down there with them. Give them life. And then he's saying, follow me, and you are the light. Jot down some next steps. Here's where we're going with this. This question. One thing that was unique about the salt in Jesus' day is that it wasn't tiny like this. Right? It was big rock salt that they would bust up and they would put it all over the meat. And what happened uh, to impure rock salt was they just got it out of the ground or off of a side of a mountain and it had impurities in it. Okay? And what would, the, the reason he said, what if salt loses its saltiness? He wasn't being silly. This salt can't lose its saltiness, but that salt could. How? It would get washed over by the rain. So if you left the salt out in the rain, when you came back, all you would have is rock. The saltiness would be gone. So I want to know, how is your saltiness being washed over? So, so now turn your attention from table salt to rock salt and say, in my life, if I'm not being salty toward others, and I am salt, Jesus told me that, so not like I need to try to be salt, remember? How is the salt, though, being contaminated by my life? What is washing over me that's reading? Maybe it's these perceptions of what I think people need to accept me and all that. How is my saltiness being washed over? The second thing you can ask yourself is this. How can people know you better by your actions than your beliefs? If you're the type of person who needs something to do, and you're like, you're telling me to do nothing, I just need to be who I am in Christ, if you need something to do, this next step is for you. How can people know you by your actions? Jot down an actual way. I think this is how people can know me better. Maybe they, 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 know, they know my beliefs or they don't, but they can know me better by my actions right here. And finally, and most importantly in the next steps, what are you holding back from Jesus? What have you decided over in this corner of your giant piece of rock salt? Are you just going to let stay rock forever? I'm never going to let God have this. Maybe it's your money. Maybe it's your relationships. Maybe it's like what Kanye said, and it's the fact that you just want all the attention. What are you holding back from Jesus? And here's the invitation for you tonight, this morning. Feels like night in here, though. We're going to have a prayer team at the back. Same prayer team as last week, but two songs because we got too many lines of people wanting to pray. So we're going to worship. Don't worry about time. we got two songs to go. Come to the back and be prayed for and say, I want you to come and say to us, this is what I'm holding back from Jesus. You don't have to be ready to let go of it even at that moment, although I will invite you to let go of it in that moment. What are you holding back from Jesus? Say that out loud. 
And if you have never stepped into a relationship with Jesus, to you, this is more of a cognitive thing. Like, I just want to think about this or more of a feeling thing. I just want to feel this. I don't want to think about it. And let me tell you this right now. Jesus is calling you to follow him. You heard it from scripture. You can hear it from me. Jesus wants you to take that leap of faith and follow him. It works like this. You say, God, I, I admit that I do not get everything right. I am a sinner. And I believe that you are God and that Jesus has been raised from the dead and I want to follow you. It doesn't mean I'm all of a sudden just perfect. Nobody in this room is perfect. And the more Christian you are, the more, the more you realize that, right? The longer you've walked with Jesus, the more you realize how imperfect you are. But I invite you today to step into a relationship with Jesus. We're having a baptism service in just two weeks. And that's the first step of obedience after salvation is baptism. And we have two people already who have jumped off the cliff and they're being baptized. And I invite you to come be baptized with them. Let's pray. And then you follow these questions to find your response right now. What are you holding back from Jesus? Father, we thank you for the grace that you give us. Um, God, your grace is enough and we, we see your mercy and grace work together. When we come to you, having offended you, and you welcome us. We come to you having ran from you, and instead of making us pay, you give us forgiveness. And so, Father, I thank you for that aspect of your character, and I pray that to this morning we would come into relationship with you. I pray that those who are following you would, would, would get the baskets off their heads, stop trying to cover this light that they have, that the saltiness would be restored. We know that, that only you can do that, and we ask from your power to do that for us today. We trust you for all that is going on in our lives, the different concerns, the, the burdens we came in bearing, and we pray that you would relieve those burdens, that we would put them on you, and you would give us your, your yoke, which is easy, and your burden that is light. We thank you for salvation and for the grace of Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Thank you.